Um, good morning. Uh, again, my name is Kristen Claudie, and I'm a chaplain, a hospice chaplain in Fort Worth, uh, born and raised in Fort Worth, and uh, that gives me the opportunity to supply preach around the Metroplex, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be with y'all this morning. It is a uh, heavy week, um, several things on, on my mind. Um, I do also want to um, reiterate thanks to any veterans who are here today and, and offer a blessing to you for wholeness of body, mind, and spirit, um, and for any of you all who have lost love, loved ones to war, to violence, um, I'm thinking of you. Um, and I also wanted to take a moment to acknowledge uh, the horrific loss that has occurred in our own state this week. Um, it has been very heavy indeed. Um, I've sat with friends who are parents and teachers who've had nothing short of an emotional breakdown as they did something as simple as drop their kids off at school on Wednesday or clocked in to work on a Wednesday morning. Um, I hold them in my prayers and in my heart this morning, um, as well as the grieving families, and I pray for a total end uh, to gun violence, to violence in general. Um, it should be a hopeful thing knowing that my faith tells me that God is at work in this world, bringing us to unity and wholeness and a oneness, as, we talk, as we'll talk about today. And yet I also believe and know that God works usually through us, through God's people, and there is so much work for us to do as well. So I pray that we're not overwhelmed by it. I pray that we're not frozen in fear. Um, and I pray, woo, <laughs> I pray that we hear what the gospel has to say today and let it guide us. All right. I guess y'all can hear me now, huh? Um, so I used to see someone called a spiritual director. Has anybody heard of that or been to one? Or Yeah, okay. Um, when I told my parents about it, they thought it sounded a little bit crazy, and I understand that. <laughs> um, but it's not a psychic or anything like that. It's, it's kind of like a Christian counselor, um, mainly for Roman Catholics or, or mainline Protestants. It's kind of for that crowd. Um, and it was something my seminary really encouraged. So I did it, and I, it really helped me with my prayer life and in my discernment to be a chaplain. Um, she, my spiritual director, happened to be a nun or a sister, as they sometimes uh, prefer to be called these days. And I don't remember exactly how I got connected with her, but her name was Sister Jane, and I really, really liked her. And she was part of an order called the Sisters of St. Joseph. And even though I find it annoying that a women-only group is named after a man, I can put that aside for a second and say that this group of women uh, was really, really cool. Uh, their convent was in LaGrange, Illinois, and I lived in Chicago at the time. Uh, but there are sisters um, in this order all around the world, about 14,000 of them at last time I checked. I still remember walking in the first day to this uh, convent, and there was a giant inscription on the wall in the front that said, that all may be one, taken from the gospel reading that we read today. Uh, it's the end of Jesus' farewell prayer for his disciples on the night before he would die. Now, I'll get back to the sisters in just a moment. Um, 
you know, the timing for this gospel reading is a little strange as we've just moved through Easter and Jesus reappearances, and now we've jumped back to before he died. So if that seems a little um, confusing, that is, uh, it is a little confusing. (laughs) Uh, But the reason, I suppose, is that this passage tells us even more about the point of it all. So we're going back to try to examine the point of it all, this death, this resurrection, the whole mission of Jesus. Um, We have this incredible so that phrase at the end of this reading, and for some reason that was really jumping out at me. So that. It answers the big question of, can you get to the point, Jesus? Cliff notes, please. So what? And isn't that the question that so many non-religious or formerly religious people are asking? Why does being religious matter? So you go to church, great. So what? Sometimes it's hard to see the fruits, to see the point. And in the worst case scenario, many see the church not only as pointless, but as harmful. Um, I've had many debates with my atheist uncle about that one. Um, We have to be able to answer this question as Christians with integrity and with thoughtfulness. So what? Jesus gives us this little line, so that the love with which you have loved me, you being God, may be in them and I in them. So it's not so that we can be happy, so that we can go to heaven. It's not that. Those words are nowhere to be found, at least not in this passage. In this passage, it's so that we can love, so that we are bound together by the love of God. It is a love that Jesus would demonstrate not just by his words, but with his human body, so that we could not in any way mistake what he was trying to get across. Jesus' oneness with God is something that the Gospel of John likes to emphasize. It's a very kind of mystic way of looking at things, which is how John likes to, likes to do things. And most people would consider themselves, um, most people who would consider themselves in any way spiritual uh, really relate to this idea, even if we can't fully explain what it means to be one with each other. um, I think people relate to this idea, being one with our global neighbors and the value of that concept. Um, Ecumenical and interfaith movements uh, seem to love this gospel verse because it's not really about agreeing on stuff or converting anyone, but about our common humanity, about the love of God which which surpasses all understanding and is above all names and all descriptions and all words. It is about the love that I believe underpins most major religious traditions and connects the spirit of all God's creatures, the love that God breathed into us at the onset of the world's and the incredible potential that is brewing when we recognize how much we could accomplish by working together and having a common purpose rather than focusing on changing each other's minds and proving our points. Now let me get back to the sisters for a moment. Um, In doing a little digging, I found out that the sisters of St. Joseph in LaGrange didn't just pick a random verse to pick on their wall one day. That all may be one is a longtime motto for the whole U.S. branch of sisters, all 2,000 that live in the U.S. There's a documentary about them, which can be found at, you guessed it, thatallmaybeone.com. 
And they also have a magazine called Imagine One. Makes me wonder what they might have to teach us about what this phrase really means. Our mission, they say, is to bring all into unity with God, with one another, and with all creation. We do this through prayer, direct service, and ministry, partnering with others to serve the dear neighbor, standing with and for the poor and vulnerable, and by advocating for systemic change. Partnering with, standing with, advocating for. This is oneness, they say, from a group who've been meditating on this concept for decades. They also get specific with how they do this. And I love when nuns get really bold, so this is kind of fun. Um, They say they do it through tutoring and literacy programs, spirituality centers, social service programs, spiritual direction, and pastoral assistance, by supporting justice and peace initiatives, including anti-racism efforts, the abolishment of the death penalty, fair and just immigration policies, nonviolence, especially in regards to gun violence, anti-human trafficking efforts, and the care of the environment and the earth. That all may be one. Now, I'm not saying that you or we have to take on all of these issues or that these are the specific things Jesus had in mind when he spoke these words of love and oneness. But we can take a page, again, from a religious group who's been reflecting on living out this concept of oneness for a very long time. And it is our calling as Christians, too, to interpret and live out scripture for our day and age. And we don't have to take vows of poverty and celibacy to do it. Although it probably would free up some of our time if we did, but I digress. (laughs) The question now is, what is your so that? And can I dare you to get specific, like the nuns? What is yours so that? And is it congruous with the calling that Jesus is placing on us today? Oneness and love. Not sameness, not agreement, but oneness. Not pleasantries, but love. And here's one more quote I'll leave you with from the documentary on the sisters. Um, She's unnamed in the documentary, or I would tell you her name, but she says this. I think there are a couple misconceptions. One is that sisters don't belong in the world, that the sisters are separate from the world, they're special, and they pray about things, and they know things about God and Jesus. I'd say we know more than people imagine because it's one thing to read about poverty, and it's something else to be in the midst of it. Our whole life and our faith foundation and formation and spirituality is built from the ground up, literally from the ground up from our world. This is where heaven begins. This is where the gospel happens. This is where the cry of the poor takes place. And this is where we live, not separate from the world, but in it. Oneness. It is what we act out at our communion table. And it is a glimpse of Jesus' vision for the world that he becomes part of us and we a part of him and all of us part of one another as we share in this sacrificial gift of love so that oneness and love may return once again to the center of our lives. 
May today be a meditation on just that. May we carry it into our world around us in specific ways. Today, we lament, and today, we be and do all the things that God would have us be and do to answer the question, so what? That all may be one. Amen.